My new mistress proved to be all she appeared when I first met her at the door, a woman of the kindest heart and finest feelings. She had never had a slave under her control previously to myself, and prior to her marriage, she had been dependent upon her own industry for a living. She was by trade a weaver, and by constant application to her business, she had been in a good degree preserved from the blighting and dehumanizing effects of slavery. I was utterly astonished at her goodness. I scarcely knew how to behave towards her. She was entirely unlike any other white woman I had ever seen. I could not approach her as I was accustomed to approach other white ladies. My early instruction was all out of place. The crouching servility usually so acceptable a quality in a slave did not answer when manifested toward her. Her favor was not gained by it. She seemed to be disturbed by it. She did not deem it impudent or unmannerly for a slave to look her in the face. The meanest slave was put fully at ease in her presence, and none left without feeling better for having seen her. Her face was made of heavenly smiles and her voice of tranquil music. But alas, this kind heart had but a short time to remain such. The fatal poison of irresponsible power was already in her hands and soon commenced its infernal work. That cheerful eye under the influence of slavery soon became red with rage. That voice, made of all sweet accord, changed to one of harsh and horrid discord, and that angelic face gave place to that of a demon. Very soon after I went to live with Mr. and Mrs. Auld, she very kindly commenced to teach me the ABC. After I had learned this, she assisted me in learning to spell words of three and four letters. Just at this point of my progress, Mr. Alt found out what was going on, and at once forbade Mrs. Alt to instruct me further, telling her, among other things, that it was unlawful, and as well as unsafe, to teach a slave to read. To use his own words further, he said, if you give a nigger an inch, he will take an L. A nigger should know nothing but to obey his master, to do as he is told to do. Learning would spoil the best nigger in the world. Now, said he, if you teach that nigger, speaking of myself, how to read, there would be no keeping him. It would forever unfit him to be a slave. He would at once become unmanageable and of no value to his master. As to himself, it could do him no good, but a great deal of harm. It would make him discontented and unhappy. These words sank deep into my heart and stirred up sentiments within that lay slumbering and called into existence an entirely new train of thought. It was a new and special revelation explaining dark and mysterious things with which my youthful understanding had struggled, but struggled in vain. I now understood what had been to me a most perplexing difficulty, to wit, the white man's power to enslave the black man. It was a grand achievement, and I prized it highly. From that moment, I understood the pathway from slavery to freedom. It was just what I wanted. I had got it at a time when I least expected it. Whilst I was saddened by the thought of losing the aid of my kind mistress, I was gladdened by the invaluable instruction which, by the merest accident, I had gained from my master. Though conscious of the difficulty of learning without a teacher, I set out with high hope and a fixed purpose, at whatever cost of trouble, to learn how to read. The very decided manner with which he spoke and strove to impress his wife with the evil consequences of giving me instruction, served to convince me that he was deeply sensible of the truths that he was uttering. It gave me the best assurance that I may rely with the utmost confidence on the results which he said would follow from teaching me to read. What he most dreaded, that I most desired. What he most loved, that I most hated. That which to him was a great evil 
to be carefully shunned was to me a great good to be diligently sought. And the argument which he so warmly urged against my learning to read only served to inspire me with a desire and determination to learn. In learning to read, I owe almost as much to the bitter opposition of my master as to the kindly aid of my mistress. I acknowledge the benefit of both. I had resided but a short time in Baltimore before I observed a marked difference in the treatment of slaves from that which I had witnessed on the country. A city slave is almost a free man compared with a slave on a plantation. He's much better fed and clothed and enjoys privileges altogether unknown to the slave on the plantation. There is a vestige of decency, a sense of shame that does much to curb and check those outbreaks of atrocious cruelty so commonly enacted upon the plantation. He is a desperate slaveholder who will shock the humanity of his non-slaveholding neighbors with the cries of his lacerated slave. Few are willing to incur the odium attaching to the reputation of being a cruel master. And above all things, they would not want to be known as not giving a slave enough to eat. Every city slaveholder is anxious to have it known of him that he feeds his slaves well. And it is due to them to say that most of them do give their slaves enough to eat. There are, however, some painful exceptions to this rule. Directly opposite to us on Philpot Street lived Mr. Thomas Hamilton. He owned two slaves. Their names were Henrietta and Mary. Henrietta was about 22 years of age. Mary was about 14. And of all the mangled and emaciated creatures I've ever looked upon, these two were the most so. His heart must be harder than stone that could look upon these unmoved. The head, neck, and shoulders of Mary were literally cut to pieces. I frequently felt her head and found it nearly covered with festering sores caused by the last of her cruel mistress. I do not know that her master ever whipped her, but I have been an eyewitness to the cruelty of Mrs. Hamilton. I used to be in Mr. Hamilton's house nearly every day. Mrs. Hamilton used to sit in a large chair in the middle of the room with a heavy cowskin stick always beside her, and scarce an hour passed during the day but was marked with the blood of one of these slaves. The girl seldom passed her without her saying, move faster, you black gip, at the same time giving them a blow with the cowskin over their head or shoulders often drawing blood. Then she would say, take that, you black gip, continuing, if you don't move faster, I'll move you. Added to the cruel lashings to which these slaves were subjected, they were kept nearly half-starved. They seldom knew what it was to eat a full meal. I have seen Mary contending with the pigs for the awful thrown into the street. So much was Mary kicked and cut to pieces that she was oftener called pecked than by her real name. <laughs> 